Last week, we, we looked at three of the biblical marks or three biblical marks of a biblical church. Those were expositional preaching. And we learned in our members class that we not only need to do expositional preaching, but we also need to do expositional what? Listening. We also need to do expositional listening, right? <clears throat> a, a biblical church also preaches biblical theology. And a biblical church is consistently preaching the gospel. Let me recap. A biblical church will be one in which the word of God is taken and laid before the people so that they can hear what God has said. Expositional preaching is when the preacher stands behind the word of God, under the word of God, and allows God to speak clearly from his word. Expositional preaching, it takes the main point of a passage and makes that main point the main point of the sermon. <clears throat> it is the word of God and through the spirit of God that convicts, converts, and will build up and sanctify the body of Christ. Amen? <clears throat> we also learned that a biblical church is one that preaches biblical theology. Biblical theology is simply this. Preaching what the Bible preaches or preaching what the Bible teaches. Biblical theology is clear, sound doctrine. This will affect evangelism, discipleship, unity, and worship. And then finally, we learn that a biblical church is one in which the gospel is preached. Now listen, it's not a place where the gospel is preached monthly, quarterly, or even yearly. It is a place where the gospel is proclaimed in everything that we do. The gospel is proclaimed in our worship. It's proclaimed in our preaching. It is proclaimed in our sacraments. It's proclaimed in our giving, our evangelism, our admissions, etc. All that we do should scream out the gospel. Amen? Amen? We learned that the gospel is the sovereign, holy God of the universe created all things for his glory. That God created man in his image and gave man the freedom in the garden to freely obey him, which would lead to life and blessings, or freely disobey him, which would lead to death and cursing. Man freely chose to disobey God, therefore sent himself and his progeny, you and I, down a course of utter depravity. We therefore are unwilling and unable to choose any good leading to salvation on our own. The wrath of God is fixed on sinful humanity because of their rebellion. But God, good news. That's all the bad news. You can't appreciate the bad, the good news until you hear how bad the bad news is. Amen? Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, you can leave it up, sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to save sinful rebels from his wrath. These people, you and I, were not deserving of mercy, but God nevertheless gave them mercy. These people were not deserving of grace. Nevertheless, God chose to give them grace. It was for these people that Christ came, obeyed the law perfectly, living the life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserve. And on the cross, he paid our sin debt. And in the resurrection, he conquered once and for all sin, death and the grave. Now, God calls sinners to repent and trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Amen. If, we, if we repent of our sins and turn to Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we will be, we, we will be born again and have eternal life. That's the gospel. 
Tonight, we're going to do two marks. I, I was going through it, and I, I just can't get through three. We'll, we'll do two. So two, this is actually number four of the three that we've already gone through. So number four should be conversion. A biblical church is one in which true conversions are taking place. And also, where people understand what a true conversion is. Very important. Listen, how is a person truly converted or how is one born again? How is one regenerated? And here's the other question. What happens when they are born again? What's the result when they are born again? Does a person to be born again need to simply repeat a prayer? Walk down an aisle, sign a card, seal a deal of conversion. What are the signs that that person has been converted? Do they speak in different languages? Will they all of a sudden become extremely happy? Will they run up and down aisles? What are the marks of a person who has truly been born again? Will they look at me the way that you're looking at me? I hope not. <laughs> it is important that we understand what God does in conversion and what people do in conversion. So, in conversion... God, let's start there. God gives life to the hopelessly dead sinner. God gives life. This is so important for us to remember when sharing the gospel. Let me, let me shout this out. Someone said that I shout really loud and I use my hands a lot. I'm sorry. That's who I am. You cannot make someone born again. So in conversion... God makes someone born again. You do not make someone born again. That's so important. And, and let that be a soft pillow that you rest your head on tonight. Of all the people that you are trying to convince, of all the people that you are trying to scare into heaven, let it be known that only God can change a person's heart. It's not dependent, therefore, upon how well or how terrible you present the gospel. And thank God for that. Jesus said that regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. He said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, John chapter 3 verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We cannot force the wind. We cannot control the wind. We can't stop the wind. So it is with the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration, you cannot tell the wind to go left or right. The wind will go where it wishes. So it is with the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Who did the work? Verse 4 tells us who did the work. God. Who was unable, unwilling, and incapable of doing the work? Us. 
Verses 1 through 3 tell us that. Verses 4 through 6 tell us it's all God. In conversion, God also gives the gift of faith and repentance. In this work, upon hearing the gospel, God gives the hearer of the gospel, if it's his choice, the gift of faith to believe and crushes their heart or changes their heart. Gives them a heart transplant so that they will repent of their sin. You speak to a person in in which God is not doing a heart transplant. You speak to a person in which God is not moving upon their heart. You share with them the gospel. It's almost like uh, throwing a bouncy ball against the wall. It's just going to go all over the place. It's not going to go anywhere. Why? Because they have a heart of stone. If you poke a stone with a needle, will the stone react? No. But if you poke a piece of flesh with a needle, there's going to be an automatic reaction. The Bible says that that God, in the work of regeneration, of conversion, Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit will I put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Bible says in Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you, it has been granted to you, it should be you, that for your sake of Christ, I'm all over the place, for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Who granted that God did. God granted belief. The Bible says in Acts eleven eighteen, God speaks or speaks of God granting repentance that leads to life. Hebrews twelve two says that we are to fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. When Paul or when Peter preached the gospel in Acts chapter two, the people were cut to the heart, and the response is, "What shall we do?" Peter's response, repent and be baptized. Repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized. They had a a heart transplant. What happens in conversion in people? People, when they are converted, people, when they are regenerated, they, number one, the response of the gospel when you share the gospel is this. People repent of sin. They don't ask you, explain to me, Alexa. They don't ask you, tell me about this whole uh, tulip thing. They don't ask you, uh, so what about the pastor? How much is he making? When you share the gospel, if it is the true gospel with someone, their response is repentance. A biblical response to the gospel is always turning from sin. After preaching, again, the gut-wrenching message on the day of Pentecost... The people ask, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus was constantly calling people to repent of their sin and to sin no more. The true response of a converted person is to to repent of sin. What else? When you turn from sin, where do you turn to? To Christ. So you're turning from sin and turning to Christ. Listen, you cannot turn from sin and not turn to Christ. 
There's only one place to turn to, only one person to turn to when you turn from sin, and that's to Christ. If you do not turn to Christ, then you are still in your sin. You can stop a sinful action, but not turn to Christ and still be in sin. See, so let's take exterior things that we know. So someone who's an alcoholic, they can stop drinking, but they still have a sin problem. So let me just say this. You cannot turn from your sin. Let's do it that way. You cannot turn from your sin without turning to Christ. That's, that actually just worked out in my mind. So you can, yeah, you cannot turn from sin and not turn from Christ. If you do not turn from Christ, you are still in your sin. Does that make sense? Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, or yeah, John chapter 3, that just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that every person who believes in him will be saved. Jesus referring to Numbers chapter 21 in which poisonous snakes came down and bit the people. God commanded Moses to set up an image of a serpent and those who looked to the serpent would be healed. Those who did not look to the serpent would die of the poisonous bite. In the same way, if we do not look to Christ alone for our salvation, we will remain in our sin and we will die. If we wanted to talk about how do we know someone is converted, we can continue that conversation. But the first two ways that you know someone is converted is they turn from their sin and they turn to Christ. Why is it important for us to understand a biblical understanding of conversion or regeneration? I ask you to ask this question about your church. Are true conversions taking place in your church? If you're a part of a so-called biblical church, then you should be seeing true conversions taking place in your church. Here's what's either going to happen. People are either going to hear the gospel, respond, repent, turn to Christ, and you're going to see fruit pouring out of their lives, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Or you're going to see people... Fight with that gospel message. You're going to see people struggle with that gospel message. You're going to see people blame everyone else around them for their lives being a mess. But what it comes down to is their hearts are still stony, hard, and they will not repent of their sin. So they will go to another place that teaches a softer message that makes them feel better about their sin rather than staying in a biblical gospel preaching church and deal with the fact that they're confronted with their sin on a weekly basis. Bringing that sin to Christ, turning from it and turning to him. There's two options. You either repent, trust and believe or you pretend like you repent, act like you love God, but really you love your sin still and you won't turn to him. There are people filling churches today that are living in that way. There is no true conversion because there is no true repentance and there is no true turning to Christ. How can you have a, a 10,000 member church or 10,000 people coming to your church? And the highlight of your, your sermon on Sunday... It's to have the blue guys come, to bring a DeLorean from Back to the Future in, to do a skit. And let people know you can have fun in church. Don't think that's far-fetched. 
Are you cold now? I think we can be fooled into thinking that because there are crowds, there are conversions. This is also true in Scripture. The crowds were following Jesus. And as they were following Jesus, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, If you truly want to be my disciple, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They stopped in their tracks, turned and left him. Jesus knew how to get crowds to stop following him. We cannot be fooled into thinking that crowds equal conversion. When we begin to see people in our churches turning from sin and turning from the world, turning to Christ and loving Christ, growing in understanding, sharing their faith, producing fruit, etc., then and only then are we seeing true conversions in people's lives. And I thank God. Because I'm constantly hearing men come up to me in our conversations and they're speaking about the the moments that they're having as they share their faith on the job. That's exciting. I mean, I could not tell you how many times I've had, and I can point to every every single guy here, about moments that they told me that they were sharing the gospel on the job. That's exciting. These are marks of a truly converted person. If true conversions are not taking place in that church, in your church, then you must ask yourself a number of questions. Is the gospel being preached? Is the whole counsel of God being taught? There's a number of questions that, 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 that need to be asked. Now, here's, here's something I grew up with. See, most of the people, check this out for those of you who have been in church for a long time. Raise your hand if you have been coming to church, maybe for, let's do this, for the last 10 years. Okay. Last five years. Last two years. Last year. Let's try this again. Raise your hand if you have recently been coming to church for the last, this, this is, you're, you're in it, you've been involved, this is just you, let's say for the last three years. Raise your hand. Raise it up high. No, no, no. I'm talking about you're a three-year-old baby. Raise it up. Three years old. Come on. Jojo? Yeah, I'm looking at you. How about you, Melissa? Yeah, yeah, okay. How exciting is this? Because when, when most people are here, the people that are here have been converted probably in the past five to three years. Or that they're five years old in their walk with the Lord at least. Here's what happens in other churches. You have people who have been in church forever. And they go to other churches that, that have been going, that people have been there forever. You just have a bunch of people who have all been in church forever. But you're not seeing new conversions. That's my point. So those of you who are wondering, what was that all about? That's my point. Is you have a bunch of people who are just going, oh, I, I go here, now I go over here. And you got all these people who are just all buddies from way back in the day. And our kids are growing up in church, great. But there's no true conversions. There's not new people coming in, hearing the gospel, and being changed by it. And my point of pointing out these people who have been here for the last five years or so, under, is that there's true conversions happening here. Are they in droves? No. 
Did they happen in droves in the Bible? Only during Pentecost. True conversions you're going to see are here and there. Christ passes by multitudes and goes to one. Does he not? Yeah. Next, my, another reason. So that we can have clarity on the message that we present to non-believers. When we share the gospel, we have a model of what we are to share when we share the gospel. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist calls sinners to repent. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls sinners to repent. Acts chapter 2, Peter calls sinners to repent. The message of the rest of the apostles when going to places where the gospel had not yet been preached was a message of repentance. So if we're wondering when we go out to share the gospel, when we go to Martin Luther King Park, when we go to, to the, the, the tent area back there off the union, when we're going to the marketplace, if we're wondering, what do I say? You tell them to repent. You tell them to repent of sin. What's going to be the response? They're going to get upset at me. Of course they are. The gospel is always going to be an offense. Do you think that you go out to make friends? You go out to make converts, to make disciples. And don't be shocked if you get chased off the union. For doing what? Telling people to repent of sin. There was a person, I went to Martin Luther King Park. Philip was there, thank God. There was a person, I was, I was he, we, we were out there talking. He said, I've been out here for 20 years at the park. I know he's messed up. I just said, it's time for you to get out. He was so upset about that. He, he was so upset. Because I basically said to him, it's time to clean up. You are going to be, people are going to be offended by your message of repentance. The message of repentance. So it's important that we understand that the message we bring is repentance. Next, we can thank God that conversion, regeneration is God's work. I want to say this again. So that you have no burdens on your shoulders about how you can try to compel someone to believe in the gospel. It is God's work. What if I wasn't passionate enough? What if I didn't speak fluent enough in my speech? I mean, what if I what if I just failed to execute the, the meaning of the gospel? That's not on you, bro. Repent and trust in Christ for your salvation. The work is up to the Holy Spirit. He's given you the message in your mouth. Speak it. Let him do the work. Understanding conversion reminds us of how we should live in light of the gospel. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep, from, keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. As believers, we are to live differently in light of our conversion. If we have been regenerated. If we have been born again, then we should be living in a completely different way than the world. Amen? 
A biblical church is one that emphasizes the radical nature of regeneration. It is continually emphasized, meaning that if you are born again, you should live like it. And churches that are biblical preach that and emphasize that. If I told you I could fly, what would you want to see from me? You want to see me fly. Someone tells you, tell someone I'm a born again Christian. Guess what they want to see? Let's see your fruit. Guess what I want to see as a believer? I want to see your fruit. The world, don't worry about them. They're going to judge you anyways. They're going to say all sorts of things. It's among us that we must also be on our, on our, our toes and say, Look, this, I'm a true converter. I'm a true converted person. Let's move on to the next one. Number five, a biblical church is one that is passionate about evangelism. And this is connected to conversion. A church that is not passionate about sharing the gospel to non-believers is not a biblical church. A church that lives within their four walls and has no desire to go out. And let me just say this. And I might get myself in trouble for saying this. But I believe even pastors who lead churches should be leading the charge when it comes to evangelism. Which is why I've made it my, my, my passion, thank God, that when we go to evangelize, I'm there. If I'm going out to the marketplace to share the gospel, I'm there. I'm not going to tell you to go and I'm not going to show up. There are many pastors who will say, yeah, we're going to do this thing. And they're just going to show up. They're just going to be there. But they're not actively being involved in the work of evangelism. Some may say that's not their gift. This is their gift, teaching. That's great. But every single believer should be a person that is trying to evangelize the gospel. Let me clarify evangelism. We can hand out food. We can uh, give people clothing. We can cut hair. We can give medicine. And those are great charitable works. But if they are void of the gospel, then they are simply putting band-aids on bullet wounds. Meaning true evangelism is giving people the evangel. The gospel, giving people the gospel, calling them to repent, urging them to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Listen, if we are evangelizing and leaving that out, we're not evangelizing. We're doing charity. If we're giving food and not the gospel, you might as well be working with Red Cross. You might as well be working with Habitat for Humanity. Because there's no gospel involved. Preach the whole gospel. Preach the holiness of God. Preach man being made in the image of God. Preach the wrath of God. Preach the wrath of God against our sin. Preach our inability. They must know the bad news. In order for you to truly give them and for them to appreciate the good news, give them the bad news. Louis, when you go out, tell them that they are dead in their sin. Tell them that they are hopeless sinners who are in need of a savior. Cry out to these people as if they were your loved ones. Urge people to repent. In light of the gospel, call people to repent and trust in Christ. I don't want us to to get the idea that we can just go out and say, I just want to encourage you, man. He did it for me. He can do it for you. That's not the gospel. And your little testimony is not the gospel. 
You call people to repent. You call people to trust in Christ alone. Listen, are you tired of this message? Because this is the only message that saves. While some are texting on their phone, checking emails on their phone, while some minds are in la-la land right now as I speak, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. For it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. So if you're going to be equipped with anything, be equipped with the gospel. Because it is the power of God to salvation. And without it, men are still lost in their sin. Call them to repent. Call them to trust in Christ. Here's something that we don't do. Call them to count the cost. Call them to count the cost. Let them know that there will be persecution if they come to Christ. Let them know that there will be ridicule if they come to Christ. Let them know that there will be loss of family and friends and maybe more if they come to Christ. But all of those things are nothing compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus their Lord. Those things will be temporal joys, but the eternal joy is knowing that you will stand face to face with the lover of your soul one day. And he will say to you, well done. The greatest gift is Christ himself. Do not ever neglect to scream out like a wild man, John the Baptist, if you have to. Repent. And be confident when you share. Trust in Christ. Turn to Christ alone. There is your confidence. There is confidence in no one else. There is confidence not in Buddha. There is no confidence in Muhammad. There is no confidence in Hare Krishna. There is no confidence in any other so-called God. Only Christ alone is worthy of worship. Only Christ alone is worthy of us following and laying down our lives and saying, I deny myself, I take up my cross, and I follow you. Amen. Matthew 28, Romans 10, 1 Peter 3, they all teach on evangelism. Acts 2, 3, 13, 17 gives, gives us examples of evangelism. Romans 1 through 4 and 1 Corinthians tell us what we are to share when we do evangelism. And why is this important? Because when a church has an unbiblical understanding of the gospel, they don't evangelize biblically. And if they're not evangelizing biblically, then to what gospel are people believing and to what gospel are people being saved? If you're not hearing the biblical gospel and you say you've trusted in Christ, what have you trusted? If you say, yes, I believe in Jesus because he's going to heal my body. He's going to give me a car. He's going to fix my family. He's going to get me off drugs. He's going to make me feel better. You're losing or missing the point. You're dead in sin. And the only way that you can be saved is to trust in Christ and His righteousness. People who don't understand the biblical gospel won't understand or won't evangelize biblically. And they will either evangelize by sharing a misleading gospel 
or a manipulative gospel. Move people to their flesh, but no one's heart will be changed. That is the dangers of these, these, these churches that say, come on in, have a good time. And then at the end, just repeat this prayer after me, like Joel Osteen. If you said that prayer, friends, I want you to know that you're saved today. You can call us up and thank God for that. There's no conversion in that. I remember the, the, the times when I would be watching these and, I, and I, I, was, I was looking for some kind of good feeling. Looking at an evangelist on television, he says, friend, I can see you right now. And I'm sitting there looking at the screen and say, you see me? I see you right I know you're going through something. And I say, I am going through something. I start getting drawn closer to the screen. Friend, I want you to know that God knows what you're going through. And I'm getting closer to the screen. All you got to do right now, friend, is just, just repeat this prayer after me. Lord, I love you. Lord, come into my life. Lord, be my God. Amen. No message of repentance. No message that you are a, 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 a rebel against God, that, that you are that you're an opponent of God. I would hear that that message was brought to me to the television screen. I probably would fall back in my chair and say, no one's ever told me this. But when a church has a biblical understanding of the gospel, they evangelize with the biblical gospel. And listen, and it produces biblical results. Regeneration, conversion. Yeah. And those lives produce fruit. They come with a biblical message. They see biblical results. And man, I tell you, it's regeneration. It's fruit. And it's persecution. I'm going to say this in closing. Our brothers and sisters in other countries have been experiencing persecution like we could never imagine. I am not a prophet, but I do imagine within the next five years we're going to be experiencing a level of persecution. And guess what's going to happen? It's going to separate the wheat from the sheep. It's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That there are more denominations, whether that be the Episcopal Church, whether that be the, the Presbyterian Church, that are compromising their stance on the inerrancy of Scripture, on whether or not same-sex attraction is unbiblical and they're compromising in light of the persecutions and pressures that are coming their way. I tell you, brothers and sisters, those who, who do that are the apostates of this generation. If this be the last generation, this is the apostates that the one the Lord spoke of that would happen before he comes back. I pray that it not be you. I pray that when you are questioned about your stance on biblical inerrancy, I pray that when you're questioned, as my wife was the other day, about whether or not a person could be homosexual and a Christian, she took a stance for the biblical teaching that is an abomination before God. 
And by the end of that conversation with the person who said you should just love everyone, she was, she was, called, she was told that she should go kill herself and that she was a piece of dung in a bad, a bad word. All for doing what? For taking a stand on the word of God. That through, through a computer conversation, <clears throat> kill yourself. Through a computer conversation, your your feces. Oh, that's and that's in a conservative city of Bakersfield. Be prepared with the gospel. Because true people who have been converted and regenerated, they embrace the conversion just as readily as they've embraced the persecution. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. I pray that you've been glorified by your...